You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, it is our church's 38th birthday. 38 years young. How amazing. And, um, and we're just taking a bit of a different approach tonight just to celebrate uh, the fact that we turned, that the church turned 38, that 38 years ago, uh, Pastor Luke and Marilyn Bro planted this church up in the Halk Intermediate School Hall. There's some old school, there's some photos and stuff up there um, of some, just some stuff throughout the generations. This one down here, Zach, getting his head shaved. Right behind you, Stevie. And uh, there's one on that side. Oh, you can't see it now. Dan Owen in that corner is a good one, too, with some blonde tips. So we, we thought we'd do something a little bit different tonight. You know, 38 years of our church, Pastor Luke shared the word this morning, and we thought tonight would take a bit of time because um, Bex and I have both been here for a decent chunk of that 38 years. I've been on staff 21 years of that 38 and been in the church for 23 in, years, I think. I think I've been, been in the church for 34, 35 years. 35 of those 38 Can years. Can anyone beat that? Anyone in the room beat 35 years in the church? You're, you're the winner, babe. Yes, That's it. I'm the winner. So, Thank you. So Bex and I have a, a, a long history and investment in this church, and uh, obviously now it means a lot to us uh, being senior pastors of the church as well, and uh, we thought it'd be cool just to get some time just to talk together, talk about ministry and life and marriage and kind of the journey thus far, and pray that somewhere in this it would encourage you, it would stir your faith, and I don't know about you, but whenever I hear stories of faith and stories of what God's done in someone's life, it just inspires me to go after Jesus on a whole nother level. So we pray that some of this does that, but what we did tonight is we didn't talk about the questions we're asking one another. We're going to ask each other questions, and we didn't talk about what they were. So I have no idea what Bex is going to ask me, and she has no idea what I'm going to ask her. So we're just going to see where the Lord leads. (laughs) We're going to see where the Lord leads. Do you want to to say something? you want to intro this? Or is it just going to be me talking the whole time? Come on. No, 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 no. Um, no, this is good. This is good. Um, there was one, only one question I kind of ran by him to say, is it, is it all right if I ask you about this? So um, we're going um, to get started with a bit of fun. All right? Should I go first with my Yeah, bit? you can go first. We you're, have no idea. The, so we haven't even been able to plan how we're going to do it because we've got no idea. What, I don't want to give away anything, right? So, okay. So, um, Stevie, I'm going to start with some would you rather questions. Oh, I did the same thing. Did you? Yeah, 100%. <gasps> oh. Let's go. Let's go. If we Googled the same thing, then we oh, might have the, the same questions. I didn't Google. I used my intellect. Okay. <laughs> I don't waste my intellect on such trivial things. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll go turn about then. What? We'll, we could go turn about then since we've got the same go. game. All right, would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great, great, great grandchildren? Past. Past? Yep. It would be fascinating mm. to meet them and see where they lived and... You know what I mean? Like, in the future, they have technology and cyborg dog robots. I'm not interested in that. I want to know, like, how did they... Cyborg robots. How did they scratch out a living in the Wild Mm. West or wherever the heck they were, in the the highlands of Scotland? All right, Bixie. Would you rather eat a scrambled egg or a can of plain tuna? Start again. Would you rather eat a scrambled egg or a can of plain tuna? I don't like egg, by the way, or tuna. You gotta I'd, choose one. I'd rather eat a scrambled egg. Ooh, 
Okay. Tuna. Guess what's for dinner? No. It's your go. Oh, sorry. You said turn about. I was just still thinking about the egg. Okay. All right, Stevie, would you rather yep. keep your current first name or change it? Oh, it's tough because Steve is like the old man name now. You know, like when I was a kid, Harry was an old man's name. You never met a young Harry. Now there's Harrys everywhere. Yeah. And Do you, you think Steve's going to make a comeback? You never met like an old Barry. My dad's name is Neville. There's no babies called Neville. There's going to come a... There's going to come a point in time. No one's naming their kids Stephen these days. So there's going to come a point in time where all the Stevens are old men, and Steve's going to be like Steve. Who'd call their kids Steve? That's what it's going to be like. So they maybe I maybe like I choose something like cool and like like Jackson or like you know I don't know like some kind of cool as name. I knew you'd pick that because I know you don't really like your name. I, I probably I probably officially change it to Stevie because that kind of seems a bit more timeless. Cool. Yeah. Let it roll, eh? All right, Bixie, would you rather have a hook for a hand or a peg for a leg? <laughs> you can see these questions just... <laughs> definitely did not Google them. A hook for a hand or a peg for a leg? A peg for a leg. No, no, I get you, I get you. I, I agree, I agree. <laughs> um, would you rather always say everything that's on your mind or never speak again? Oh, Google I, I think eh? I pretty much do the first one anyway, so let's go first one. I would do the same. Bexie, would you Not rather have a cup of ice cold water or a warm cup of tea? Warm cup of tea, 100%. Mm. Stevie, would you rather buy me a new handbag or a new pair of shoes? Plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> I would rather buy you a new pair of shoes. Yeah. Okay. From number one. All right. Would you rather? Okay. Well. Uh, okay. Well, that was you, my last no, one. No, by okay. The way. That's fine. Oh, we can get you a new pair of shoes if you answer my "would you rather" question. Would you rather get another dog or get a pet duck? If I had to choose between the two. I had to choose handbag and shoes. Duck. Yo. Quack, quack. It's like you keep it outside. Huh? Keep it outside and hope that it flies away. Yeah, I get away. one of those runner ducks. The ones that run a, they don't have wings and they just run around like this. They're real cute. Pray for me, please. That's what I have to live with. I've only got one more. How many do you I don't have any more. Okay, well, let's do my last one then. Would you rather be on an aeroplane between two arguing passengers or sit next to a crying baby? Arguing passengers, hundred percent about the drama, eh? The drama, Yo, all yeah. about the drama. Be like all up in someone else's business, like what's going on? We love the drama, eh? When we like hear people arguing, we like call each other, listen, listen, like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> so good. Okay, um, oh, oh, I, I've, I've got another random question. It's not an a would you rather, but okay. it is a bit of a rather. If you could be any other nationality, what would you be? Oh, Korean. I just say, oh. Is it because of the food, though, eh? Hundred percent. Yeah, thought so. That's it. Yep. Awesome. Um, okay, so 
we've been both around here for a long time. The, uh, I got saved in this church. Bex pretty much grew up in this church. And um, so our journey has really been here for a long, long time. So um, Bexie, I want to ask you a couple of questions. So, you know, you're a pastor now and obviously the call of God's on your life and you make excellent decisions and husbands, but the, um, <laughs> but you grew up in what is essentially a Christian home. Like a lot of the people here, you know, it's probably 50-50 split. 50-50 people in this room are growing up, have grown up in a Christian home and others have maybe come to faith later in life. Um, but you grew up in a Christian home. So like, but where on the journey did God become real for you? When did your faith become like tangibly your faith? I can remember two different um, points in my life. Um, I was very much a good girl, so love following rules, love making rules, following rules, um, and just in general liked to be that responsible person. And so um, I was always involved in church. I always went to church with my mum. My dad didn't start coming to church and didn't become a Christian until like 10 years after my mum um, got saved and started bringing us along to church. Um, so always was at church. And I just, I actually just fell in love with church. I fell in love with being in the house of God. And so when I was 12, I can remember was the first time I kind of went along to the youth program. And I actually have no idea where we were because we weren't here. We went to, we went on a visit to somewhere else and we were in like a, it was like a youth service kind of thing. And I remember at 12 making a decision, like walking down the front of the church and making a decision to give my life to Christ. And from that moment on, I started serving in church. I um, just got really, really involved, but then as you do sort of in your teenage years, you um, kind of do your own thing. You get involved with strange men. And uh, at about 16, at 16 is when I met Steve, who wasn't a Christian at the time. And you just, and you just kind of at that age where you're kind of questioning things and you're kind of like, do I want to be in church? Do I not want to be in church? Is this where I want my life to go? All that kind of stuff. You're kind of questioning a whole lot of things and you're trying to make decisions for yourself. And it probably was um, about 16, around the time that you made your decision, um, that I think we both kind of said, okay, let's do this. And I can remember actually standing over there and standing up on a some kind of altar call standing up and making that decision and we were alongside each other making that decision to go yeah this is um, I'm going to get serious about this because I think there's a lot of you know like you grow up in a Christian home and you go to church and you know that you should read your Bible and you know that you should like do all the things but you actually don't really you never you don't really do it um, but it was at that point where I remember going it's all or nothing I'm actually going to do this I'm actually going to read my Bible I'm actually going to make it decision to have a relationship with God. I'm actually going to pursue this and I'm going to make it meaningful for me in my life. And that, that's really where everything shifted for me. Wow. Cool. Why don't you tell us then how you came to Elam? That was one of my questions that I had, like for you, because you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Yeah. You didn't grow up with any Christian friends, although you had like one or two along the way. Um, so for you, you're our sort of stories are very intertwined, although completely opposite, really. Tell us how you came to Elam mm. 
and how that became part of your story. Yeah, so like, I grew up in an awesome, loving home, great parents, great family, great siblings, but we didn't go to church, we didn't believe in God, we didn't read the Bible, like every, all of it was totally foreign to me. And so in the age of around sort of 17, um, I just started questioning life. I just started getting really curious about life and faith and, and about meaning to life and, and how, you know, up until that point, you know, life was really good on the outside, heaps of friends and I was, um, like a nationally ranked runner in like the 800 meters and nationally ranked high jumper and like things were awesome and I, I, on the outside everything looked amazing but internally I was like what am I here for? Like what is this life about? Is this actually about me just finishing school, going to uni, getting a job, buying a house, living some kind of life and then dying and is that the full extent of the meaning of my life? Because if it is, that's a bit empty. Mm. And 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 I and I had this aching sort of thing inside of me that was screaming out, "You're made for more. Like there's more. There's more. There's more. There's more than just this material world." And uh, so big, big like questions freaked me out. Like you know, questions about life and death. Questions about um, what the purpose of life is. The question, questions about the universe. I just was like, man, this is overwhelming me because it was. I just didn't have answers. I didn't have good answers to those questions. Um, and so I just began this big search, trying to find out what it was. And um, my whole life was consumed with running and track and everything. And that's how I got kind of first got introduced to a connection to Elam because Pastor Luke, who founded our church, his daughter April um, had the same running coach as me. And so that was kind of my first initial connection with Elam. And um, she was, Bex was April's best friend. And kind of that's how we ended up sort of meeting. But, um, you know, I just was, I couldn't, I got injured. I couldn't run for a while. And it just, it just revealed to me this aching void in my life that I, I'm, I'm actually quite lost. If I lost that part of my life, I would be really lost. And externally things were great, but internally I was just like, I am, I'm, a, I'm alone and I'm lost and I just have these big questions I can't have answer, don't have answers to. So it began a massive journey and I just was like, what does everyone else do to fill the void while we go, we get alcohol and girls and drugs and all that kind of stuff. And I just was like, let's go. And so, um, but the more I did that stuff, the more empty I felt and the more lost I felt and the more I was like, that's not it. That's like, that actually only leaves me more and more empty. And um, then got invited and met you and and already I had all these questions, right? I remember talking to you about all kinds of stuff. And um, already I'd found a Bible and I'd started reading it. And I was just like, it was blowing my mind. I was like, what is this? And then um, got invited to church. And every time I'd come into church here, um, and it was the first time ever coming to church. So like you see people singing and clapping. I'm like, who are these weirdos? Like, well, you're freaks. Why don't you put your hands down? Relax, sweetheart. Like, just calm the farm. And, and they're singing these, God, these songs to God. I'm like, he gets it. You love him. Like, just relax. This is the same thing over. We love you, Lord. You're amazing. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, and so I was like, I just didn't understand it. And I was like, man, this, but, but it blew me away. Cause I was like, they've got something. And there's something here that, is so attractive to me. And it was like the Spirit of God was just calling me here. And every time I come in, I'd just cry. I'd just like sit down the back, like right down the back where the, the really, the holy people are down there. And um, it's like funny, you sit down the back, like you're gonna escape God. And it's like, God lives at the back row. Like he works from the back to the front, man. He's just like, it's not the way you think. And um, so yeah, I was, I'd just cry. And then it was just, the more I came to church, the more I heard about a God who loved me. And it just started to make, 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 
a bit more sense. I had no idea about anything. Like I still was so far from, from, from knowing much about God. But I remember seeing the scripture on the wall of our church, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I was like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for good and I'm looking for hope and I'm looking for this God who's got plans for me. And, and if that's true, like that's, that's monumental. Like that's, if, if that's true, that's monumental. And so, yeah, I just, I, um, I, I was working a really boring job, filing paper, and I prayed the first prayer I've ever prayed. And I just said, God, if you're real, you can have my life. And God showed up in an office in Penrose uh, while I was filing paper and just the Holy Spirit just met me right there and f- just tangibly filled my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I felt love, purpose, acceptance. Everything I was searching for, I felt and it blew my mind. And, and, and I just, I out loud yelled, stop. And the office was like, bro, get back to work. Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, but I was like, man, I just prayed to the God I heard about in church, and he showed up. And so then the very next Sunday, I came to church. I was sitting down around there where, where the team are there, and um, this wild man called Johnny Lee Cleary was preaching. He's an ex-KKK leader, and he was preaching in our church. And, um, and he gave an altar call, and I just stood up, came down the front, got on my, I didn't know what to do. I just got on my knees. I thought that's probably reasonably spiritual. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. And, uh, and just said, uh, that was it. I said, God, you can have my life again. You can have it. I think you're real. And, and from that day to this, it's like, night and day. God just showed up. God did a major work in my life, um, healed me and rid me from a whole bunch of stuff. But then I had to work out a whole bunch of my salvation, had to figure it out, had to learn. I, I, I didn't even know why Jesus died. Like that's how like little I knew about faith. I was like, I don't even know. I don't know much about the cross. I don't know why Jesus died. All I know is that God's real and I want him. Mm-hmm. I want him in my life and he's calling me. And so I know I'm broken, I'm, I'm a sinner, and I need his grace and his forgiveness. And so that's all I came to. It was like a year later, I was doing a um, training for an, an outreach, like a beach mission, we used to call it. Um, and then they taught us the gospel message about sin and the penalty for sin and that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin. And I was like, oh, I get it now. That's awesome. And I, but, but I just said, I had no idea. But I, all I knew is God was real and I, and I needed him in my life. And he showed up and radically transformed my life. And um, literally two years later, I was on staff. And so, so because you, obviously you had friends that weren't Christians, your family wasn't, mm. um, your whole life up until that point had been, had a completely different sort of trajectory. Yeah. What was it like for now Christian Steve giving yeah. up pre-Christian life? Yeah, it was really wild. It was super hard, like super hard because you got to understand like no one in my house is a Christian. No one in my immediate family is a Christian. In fact, quite the opposite actually didn't want anything to do with God. My sister was involved in witchcraft. There's all kinds of stuff going on. So like the opposite of supportive and encouraging in terms of pursue Jesus and not one of my friends in my immediate friend group was a Christian. So I had friends who were Christians on the periphery of my life, but I pretty much had to walk away from everything. So I was partying Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in town. Like I was, I just, everything, I dropped everything. I just, the friends that I was best mates with just, they just like, bro, we can't, they just left me, like walked away from me pretty much. And so it was, it was pretty, it was like that first year was one of the hardest years of my life. Look, I, at home, right, I used to go, what I used to do at home is I, I would like sneak, sneak alcohol out of the house. So I would like steal my dad's alcohol or whatever. And I'd hide it in the bushes outside my window. And I'd be like, bye mom, go to a friend's house. And then I'd go and I'd pick it up out of the bushes. And I, I, I went from doing that with alcohol to doing it with my Bible. I would put my Bible out the window, hide it in the bushes, and I'd be like, I'm just going out, but I was coming to church. 
because they, they didn't know. And, and if they knew I was coming to church so because I just could, I was coming to every meeting. I was coming to church on Sunday. I was coming to night church on Sunday. I was in a men's group, women's group. I don't care. I was going. Like if, if it was, if Jesus was attached, I'm there. Divorce recovery, sign me up. I'm just, I'm into all of it, man. And because I was so hungry for God, I was like, God's real. And if he's real, I want all of it. All of it. I don't want to. I don't want to mess around here. I want everything he has for my life. And so I grew like a rocket ship, man. I just grew like crazy, um, and outgrew people who'd grown up in church within a couple of months because I was so hungry for God, reading my Bible all the time. So it was it was really difficult. But I had to make a decision. If God's real, I'll live for Him. Yeah. But if I if I was to go back to that old life, that what that means is I have to live the rest of my life yeah. as a liar. Mm-hmm. I have to lie. Mm-hmm. I have to deny the reality of God. I have, to, I have to choose to go, I know God's real, but I'm going to ignore him and pretend he's not real and lie. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, God's real. So I have to, it's going to cost me something. And that's the thing with discipleship, right? And that's the thing we don't understand. People want Jesus. People want a savior, but not a Lord. Save me from my sin and the guilt I have and save me from hell, but don't tell me how to live my life. Man, like, if you want to follow Jesus, it... Most people go, oh, I've tried following Jesus, tried the church thing, it didn't work for me. You didn't try it. You sampled. You got the tasting platter. You didn't have the roast. Like, it's, it's everything. It's, if you really want to experience everything God has for you, you die to yourself. And you go all in. If that means leaving friends, family, if that means going after God like that, 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 that is, that's the cost. That's what I said yes to. And I trusted that God would give me back everything I'd given up. And he's so faithful, he's so good. Even if he didn't, like he's worthy of my life anyway. So, so but the, God's amazing, God's so gracious and he gives you everything. And then like, you know, my mom got, my mom's saved, my family's super supportive, all my friends who like went mental, like are all like best mates with me now and like I do their weddings for them. And you know, there's, and I've done like, I've like be- dedicated their children. And so like God takes your story and goes full circle. Just because people don't understand it in the immediate doesn't mean they're not gonna get it later. But you've just, you've, your, your life is your witness, not necessarily always your words. So um, you just trust, trust God, trust that process. So, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was wild, but you've got to determine, am I willing to count the cost of following Jesus? Because if you're not willing to count the cost, then don't bother. And that's, oh, that sounds super harsh, eh? I'm sorry. I love you. We talked about that last I love you. Like, week. come to Jesus. Like, but I'm serious. Like, if you follow Jesus, it's, e- it's not a walk in the park. It's not easy. It's not, it's not take up, he doesn't say, take up the preferred version of your life and follow me on the side. Mm. He says, die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me daily. Wow. Wow. So many of us, we want, we want the warmness and the niceness of church and Christian community without the, without the death of our own self to follow Jesus. And if you really want to know, experience what God's got for you, then Steve has to die. I die. I don't, it's no longer about me. It's about me in the hands of God and following his voice and his leading in everything that I do. Amen. Amen. We went deep real fast, eh? All right. Bexy. What's your most embarrassing ministry moment? Do you know I've got that written down? Have you? Yeah, what has been your most embarrassing church moment? Well, you go first. I shared this a few weeks ago. Was this my most embarrassing? I think it is my most embarrassing. So some of you guys might have heard me. I'm pretty sure I shared it in the morning. I don't think I shared it at night, but I used to be on the worship team. 
Uh, that's not the embarrassing moment. <laughs> Although it might be if I tried it again tonight. Um, just mute me. Uh, like, if I tried. Uh, <laughs> so I was on the worship team, and uh, our worship pastor at the time, she was obviously very gracious, and uh, she had me leading one of the songs. And back then, the way that we would lead the song is that we would, the, the worship leader would open the first line and sing it solo for quite some time. And um, everything was a lot, probably a lot quieter back then, so it felt like you were a lot more obvious uh, in your solo item. And um, there were two songs at the time that were really, really similar. And they had almost identical first lines of the song, like the very first line of the song. The lyrics were exactly the same, but the tune and the key, very, very different. And as soon as the song started, I immediately forgot which song I was doing. And I thought, I'm just gonna have to jump all in. And I opened with the wrong song. So I'm singing, I think I was singing the right words, but I was singing it to the wrong tune and the wrong key. Mm. I wanted to die. Yeah. <laughs> and my, the worship leader jumped in and, and saved me, and we continued on the song, and I literally walked out the back after the, I think it was like maybe the third song. I walked out the back, I sat on the back steps, and I cried my eyes out. I was like, I never, ever want to go back inside that building ever, 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 ever again. I wanted to die right there. Praise God. <laughs> I love it. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Yeah, cool, because no one wants to hear about my embarrassing No, 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 stuff, no, 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 no. What? You still have to share your most embarrassing moment. Which one? I've got so many. <laughs> There's the time I threw a crunchy bar at a little girl and it smashed her in the forehead and she got this massive egg lump on her head. That would have been more embarrassing for her than it was for you. Yeah, well, I, did, like, I gave her like a whole box of crunchies saying, please don't tell your parents. Like, I was like... <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> pretty sure that's illegal. But anyway, so I did it. Um, there was, oh, dude, there's a time. Oh, there's a t the one of the most embarrassing ones was a time. Okay, I was a fresh youth pastor, brand new youth pastor, and there was a, there's a guy in our church called um, Colin Mercer, Pastor Colin Mercer, <laughs> legend. Are you going to tell the barbecue story? Huh? Are you going to tell the barbecue story? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You guys are going to so, love this. Okay, so please, no judging. This is many years ago. The old is gone, the new has come. So... We were at our house. I thought, oh, get, I need to get to know the new kids pastor. The kids pastor's Colin. I'm the new youth pastor. We don't really know each other. I'm like, let's get, let's get him and his wife over for a barbecue at our place. And so we'll cook some sausages, right? And so they're there. We, 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 like, we don't really know each other, but we're getting to know each other, and we're cooking sausages. He comes over to me at the barbecue, and he goes, hey, how much longer until we're ready? And I, and I looked at the barbecue, and you know some sausages are, are a little bit fatter than other ones? And there was one chunky sausage on there, and I was like, that guy needs a little bit more work. So I just, I used my tongs, and I pointed to the sausage, and I said, just win this, and in my head, I thought to say the words, fella. But then, as I spoke, I was like, nah, say the word sucker. So when I blended those two words, it was a very firm F word. And I said, just when this is done. It gets better, it and gets then better. I, and then, and then I, I was like, whoo, like, and Colin just goes, okay, and walked away. And, 
and like, and I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like we, I'm a fresh youth pastor. He's a new kids pastor. We just, and he thinks that's my language. He thinks that's what I say. I never, I don't speak. That's one thing God dealt with me on the day I got saved. I'm like, no, 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 no. But I couldn't bring it in myself to say anything. And so we never talked about it for like 12 years. He was on staff for 12 years. Until he years. left staff and at his leaving party, I brought it up and he was like, oh yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just walked away. We never talked about it again. It was 12 years, never talked about it. Yep. So of all the blended words you could do, that was a bad blended word. Did you want me to tell them, was, were you hoping I'd tell them my swearing story? Your which one? My swearing story. Everyone knows you swear from the pulpit. This is <laughs> old news. Only by accident. Yeah, she does. I've never done it. Hey, Bexie. <laughs> so there's a lot of young women in our church. Yes. And um, what would you, what advice, like we, we, we were young when we got together. And, um, but what, what advice would you give to some of the young women out here who are potentially starting dating or looking to date or hoping to get married? Like, what, like what, do, what do you do? Like, I know this is a different world we live in now, but what, what would be your advice to the young ladies in the room? Probably a few things. Um, I think starting, let's start with starting out dating. I think one of the biggest things, and this is so cheesy and sounds so like lame, but the base and foundation of friendship with the person you might be starting to date or that you might like or be beginning to be interested in is so incredibly important, you just have no idea. Like, to have that foundation of friendship, I need to just tell you, you don't need to rush or move forward quickly with anything about that relationship. If you are going to end up in a dating scenario, which will lead to like a serious relationship scenario, which could lead to a marriage scenario, there's absolutely no reason that you would need to hurry any of that process because it will, follow through. It will naturally follow course. And so the more time you can spend in a friendship scenario, the better off you are. And especially if you are young, like I'm talking sort of like sub 20 and early 20s, like hang out as much as you can with other people. Avoid isolation at mostly all costs. <laughs> like, that is one thing I think I wish I had done in our relationship. Well, I was 16 when I met Steve, so that's really young. Um, and then to end up um, getting married, we were together for five years before we got married. And it was probably just the, the place I was at in my life and where my friendships were at the time, but I pretty much ditched all friendships in favor of hanging out with Steve. What I- Most do. Let's be honest, most people do. I'm only human. Uh, but what I wish I had done was invite him into my friendships rather than excluding the people that had been, because I lost those friendships. A number of them I've regained over the years and it's all good, um, but some of them I lost them completely. And, um, but your friendships and the people around you and the people that love you and have known you for so many years can only enrich and add to that new relationship that you're working on. And also they can speak into some of the things that you might not be seeing because you're looking at things with rose-tinted glasses because, oh, he's so wonderful. Um, they can help 
protect you in certain ways and just speak into your life and bring wisdom in ways because they know you and they've been you know, a friend for you for a lot longer. Um, I think um, one of the things that I think is really, really important in, a, in any kind of um, relationship that you have is the God factor. And one of the things that I would also say and, and is don't, you, don't follow my example and say, well, Bex dated Steve when he wasn't a Christian, he became a Christian. Missionary dating is like the exception, not the rule. So we worked, but it doesn't usually. And it mostly worked because I was already seeking God. Yes, he was already on a journey. So I would never, ever, ever use our get together as an example of how to do it. And lots and lots of girls have come to me and gone, but I told my mom that you um, dated Steve when he wasn't a Christian. He became a Christian. It's all good now. And I'm like, yeah, please don't say that ever, 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 ever. Um, <laughs> because, um, because most of the time it's the exception. It's not the rule. And a lot of the time I've seen it way too many times where the girl and the guy get together. The guy likes the girl and wants to get the girl, so he goes to church. Hmm. Because the girl wants a guy who goes to church. And they, they fall in love, and, and he keeps going to church, but the only reason he's there is because of the girl. And then, oh, we've seen it, eh? So we've times. seen people get to the point where they get married, a year on, he stops going to church because he only got, went to church to get the girl, he's got the girl, stops going to church. And then the marriage breaks up. And it's, or, or they continue this relationship which is taught with, with sort of like difficulty and tension because he's not really, um, they're not on the same path. They haven't got the same vision. So I think the, the church and the, the God factor is so, so important. Um, and, 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 and I have to also say, if it's not there, and if you see red flags along the way, listen to them and do what, it might be really, really hard, but Follow, like listen to what other people are saying around you, friendships and things like people that have known you for a long time, people that are wise, people that you can listen to and you can trust. Listen to what they're saying. Make the hard decision. Be, um, listen to what God is saying because what God has got for you is really, 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 really good. Yeah. And you don't have to settle for not so good and red flaggy. Yeah, yeah. He's... What he's got for you doesn't have any red flags. Yeah. So you don't, you don't, yeah, yeah, you don't want to get to the point where you're settling for something less than because you, it's too hard to make a decision or you don't really want to make a decision about it. Very good. That's excellent advice. I like it. You got a question for me? I do. That's how this works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. We talked about it. Got it. Um, so if we were to follow on, like it's kind of um, along the same lines as what I was just saying, but also what you were talking about before. There's a, a scripture um, in Ephesians 4, which talks about, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Mm. And as a leader, yeah. but also just as a Christian, and you've been a Christian among people who aren't Christians. And like, like you've got scenarios in your life where you, you go to the gym and everyone calls you Rev. So everyone knows that you are the Christian and you are a Christian pastor. And, and so in that environment, you're looked at as 
you know, um, someone who could be setting an example. Yep. Among your friends, you are the pastor among the group, you know, like they'll come to you when they're really in strife. They will, you know, as you said before, actually do the weddings. Weddings and all those types of things. I was gonna say, ask you to do your, their funerals, but no one, yeah. Uh, um, and so what does that mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling, that kind of calling, like mm. as a leader, what does that look like practically? Mm. In like, and, and I'm talking things like in your language, in your like conversation yep. and in the areas of gossip and alcohol and like all of those types of scenarios in relationships and those types of things because as Christians, and especially as Christian leaders, and if, if anyone, you know, this could be helpful to someone who's not just in church leadership, even like, I'm talking small group leaders and all that sort of, but even just in leaders in their circle, or at yeah. their work, everyone knows they're the Christian. What does that mean? Because it has to mean something to live yeah, worthy totally, of that kind of call. It totally does, like live a life worthy of the calling of Christ. Like, when you, again, when you decide to follow Jesus, it means something. It means you no longer stay the same and that you're no longer in control of your life. That you don't get to make the decisions on how and what and where. That's all up to God. So your life is now aligned to the word of God. So that means I don't just get to do whatever I want, say whatever I want, because my life is now being used by God as a witness for other people. Now I will say I've got that wrong probably as many times as I've got it right along the journey. Like there's so many times on the journey where I'm like, I did a very poor job of living out the call that God has, the life that God's called me to. I it wasn't worthy of that calling because I messed up or I said the wrong thing or I let my ego get in the way or I let my, um, that, that quick-witted joke that has an air of like um, rudeness to it or put someone else down or whatever. I'm like, so many times I walk around, I go, damn, Stevie, you didn't, you didn't do it there. That wasn't right. Um, and so that can really harm your ability to witness to people, share with people, and also show to people there's something different about you when you follow Jesus. Like if, if you follow Jesus and nothing changes, why the heck would anyone want to follow Jesus because you're just the same as them? And, and when you do like decide to follow him, things should really change and your life should take a different route. And so for me, it's about like how I talk, what, what conversations I get into or entertain, the conversations I exclude myself from, the environments that I exclude myself from. Again, as a leader, I'm, I'm called to be above reproach. That doesn't mean I don't just not sin. It means I avoid the appearance of evil. I don't do things that people could look in and go, what's, uh, what's Stevie up to? Or, you know what I mean? Things that are going to harm the, 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 the gospel, you know, things that are going to harm the witness of Christ. So, you know, things like, especially in the early days, I wouldn't go out, like I, 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 we drink alcohol, like that's not a thing of like, we're anti that or anything is and like that's a conscience issue so if you feel God saying don't drink alcohol like that's absolutely fine we don't feel that sense of um conviction for ourselves personally but what that means is I, I just choose where and when like I don't I'm not going to the pub on Friday night standing out on the main street uh, outside Bozen's you know like I'm not I'm not it's not called that anymore I don't know what's called that anymore like or um I don't know I didn't I don't go there know, I'm, I'm I a Christian anyway yeah, outside <laughs> basalt but like why? Because people, people will look in and see me and, they, and there's a judgment call that's being made. Um, I, I, like, I'll exclude myself from conversations, environments. I walk away from those. Um, I will be careful what I'm saying and where I'm saying it. Always I'm thinking, I'm not here just representing me. 
I'm here representing Jesus. And so that really has to mean something for the conversations I keep and, the, and what I do and, and the areas I go into. Um, and that, again, like there's a social cost to that and you're standing with other people, but it's, there's a cost. There's always a cost to following Jesus. And so I have to choose that over the other things. So that's basically- And that now, like this wasn't an issue when we were growing up, but that leads into social media as yep. well, right? Cause it's yep. like, even like there's certain things where, you know, you know when you accidentally like something, but you didn't mean to like it. And then I'm like, oh, come like that. Because you didn't want to like it. Because even down to things like that, people will see we, yeah. what you follow, what you might like, what you might share, what you might share, even if it's not public, but what you're sharing with other people, yeah. all those types of things. Yep. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have found because I am a leader, it just means I can't, like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter you know, there are so many times where it's been um, friends going to do something or a group going away for this or a, or a you know, something happening and, I, and there's been so many times where the, the decision has been made easier for me because of the fact where it's like, no, I, I actually can't, I'm a leader, I, I can't. And there's a, there's a whole lot that takes place where as soon as you decide to become that kind of example for Christ in a space, you just go, whoop. The standards just got higher. Totally. And that's, and again, this, you're not going to be perfect at this. You're not going to get it right. But that's why it's important to have accountability of mm. friendships where, like, I've got mates who will literally call me out. And, like, if I, you know, my, my thing is I like to mess around and have fun. And so sometimes I can take that a little bit too far. And so I will have, like, friends who are leaders come in and go, uh, Stevie, that wasn't really what would be expected of a senior leader. And I'm like, you're right you're actually right and I'm so thankful that, you're, that I have friends who will call me out on that stuff because I, I can also do the same for them. Why? Because we, try, we don't just keep the standard on our own. We don't just try and achieve the, 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 the high calling that God has for us on our own. We actually have to do it together. We, ha- we have to hold each other to account and help each other along the way. Yeah. Bex, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we have a, we have a um, we've spoken to some of the single ladies in the room, but we have a, we have a pretty good marriage, I think, just, yeah, cool, yeah, thank okay. you. Um, thank you. Okay, we've been married for uh, nearly 18 years. It'll be 18 years at the end of this month. 18 wonderful years, the best years of our lives. Um, what do you think the keys to having a good, healthy marriage have been for us? Oh, okay, number one, I think communication. 100% uh, getting, and that's not that we've always got it right, but just that we've always committed to communicating, to working it out, to talking about things. My theory on life is that 99% of the problems that we have relationally comes down to bad communication or non-communication or no, you know, nothing at all. And I think a lot of things therefore can be solved simply by communication having a problem. So I think um, regular communication consistently, and that's like, that's like, good communication, just regular everyday communication, and it's also communication when things are difficult. Yep. So, so I think um, things like, like, like we're each other's best friend really, but that's only developed because we have committed time to talking to each other. Like one of the things that we did a few years ago was we bought one of those inflatable spas. Oh, you know the ones that we baptize people in? We've got one of those at home. And then when we sit down, 
like multiple times a week at night and we just sit in the spa and it's the best thing we've done, I think, for our marriage because we sit there, there's no TV, there's no, you don't have your phone in the spa um, and so you're just talking. You're just chatting about the day, you're chatting about things that are on your mind, you're talking about, like, we'd have conversations about, like, where, what's the top five countries you want to go to? And, you know, you just get to talk through all that stuff. And every time we get in the spa, we're like, oh, this is the best decision we ever made. Like, uh, it costs us 600 bucks from the warehouse. I'm like, yeah. take my money. That's the best 600 bucks I've ever spent in my life, is that yeah. little inflatable 100%. spa. 100%. amazing. But then when it comes to times when you're having a difficult, tough conversation, there are so many things that I think we've learned along the way. We've learned things like um, like the goal, in, whenever you enter into a conversation with your spouse or just with a friend or a work colleague, whatever, and you're having like a conflict type situation, like conversation with them where you're bringing, raising an issue or whatever, uh, one of the things we learned was that um, the goal of that conversation is to understand. It's not to be right. And that's really hard for me because I am right all the time. Uh, so, so I have to lay down that and uh, not point that out so much. Uh, but what I've learned is that the, actually the goal of the conversation is not to come out feeling like I'm right and I won, uh, but actually just to come out understanding and not necessarily that he would understand me, but that I would understand him. And so we, we like, we've said, I think, I don't know, did you make this up? The goal is first to understand and then be understood. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by repeating back to the person when you're having that conversation. Um, okay, so you feel like this because I've said this in this way and da da da. Uh, and then they might say, oh no, actually no, that's not what I meant. And so then, okay, well tell me again. And then you keep going. And one of the things that we've done right from the very beginning, eh, is to keep on talking until it's done. Rather than like, oh, you're not listening to me, I'm getting so frustrated, I can't talk to you anymore. And then just leave it then and stew on it. We've actually had like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, and I don't know if that was a smart idea or a silly idea, but, but then you go to sleep feeling understood, feeling at peace, feeling heard, feeling calm, all Unified, of those things. Like, yeah. Um, the goal is unity in that, right? You want yeah, to come like, absolutely. You're not, you're not an individual. When you get married, you're not an individual. You're not one. You're, like Jesus says, you leave your father and mother to become one. Mm. You're no longer two, you're one. Yeah. And so you can't have an individualistic mindset mm. that's like, if there's, if there's a winner and a loser, two losers. Yeah. That's what that is. You think, oh yeah, I'm, uh, no, 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 you lost, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and so the, the goal is unity. The goal is like understanding. The goal is to, is to grow together. I think one of the most important things we've also learned, which we, maybe we've only, I think we're probably digging more into now as we've been married for 18 years, is don't ever stop trying to figure them out. Like keep learning about each other. We had just had a conversation the other day in the spa about love languages and haven't read the book, but you know, we, we had a, we just make it up as we go. We had this massive conversation about love languages and discovering, actually, I don't know if that is my love language and maybe this is, maybe yours is this. And you're just constantly learning because you're constantly trying to figure each other out. And as you get older, I hate to tell you, but you more realize you haven't figured yourself out. Yeah. And so you need to keep learning to figure each other out. Um, and so you have to keep, and that's all communication, it's all, and it's all curiosity and keeping being intrigued with one another, keep wanting to learn about one another. Don't feel like you've landed there and, and got it. Um, but the other, th just a few things is like, keep having fun, like do fun things, like do silly things, like go bowling or I don't know, 
do, we, we play board games and, you know, don't stop having fun with each other. The other thing that, um, that I think is really important is to, to be kind to each other. Like, I don't know, the number of times I'll sit there and I'll see a couple interacting and I'm like, oh, they're just really mean. Yeah. Like, don't be mean. That's really, just be kind to one another. Be nice. Um, yeah, just like have a heart. I think one of the things, Stevie, you say, so maybe you'd be able to follow on and say it better than me, but one of the things you've always said, which I've sort of liked to be the recipient of, but also when I first heard you talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. Um, this whole idea that when you wake up every morning, your goal is actually to, to decide, to, to figure out that day how you can make that person's day better. How can you bless them today? Yeah, because like, it's the whole, the whole emphasis of Christian life is sacrificial service. It's I give my life for you. Mm. And that's marriage too. Like, like if you read in, in um, like Paul's writings about marriage, it's like husbands submit to your wives. And was like, ooh, I'm not submitting to anybody. You gotta understand what, what's going on there. Like, and then, and then, cause he says then, husbands, um, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He died first so that we could live. And so she may submit to me as like, you know, and love me sacrificially in that way, but I die for her every day. And I give my life and my comfort and my energy to make her live the best I can. And so that's where the two, if two people are doing that, you're in for a pretty amazing journey. And, I, and, and that's got to be the goal, right, in marriage is to, is to, is to want to be a blessing to, the, to each other. Yeah. And you don't always get it right, but you, you work on it. Yeah. Keeping on the marriage topic, how yeah. did you know that I was the one? The Lord spoke and I just knew. No, first of all, <clears throat> you need to answer the romantic way and then you can answer the real way, which is not very romantic, but I know you're going to answer. So, okay. I, I, Bible says, um, he who finds a wife finds okay, a good thing. Okay, you can thing. skip the romantic way. <laughs> he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Why did he say thing? Because there's nothing else to describe the wonder and the awesomeness of <laughs> the thing you find. I don't know if that's answering but, the question. No, it was, I, I just... I knew I loved this girl, I knew she loved God, and I knew that we could have a pretty amazing life together, and so I decided that you were gonna be the one. Um, I made that decision. And I think I had to learn, I learned quite early that to dispel the myth of the one. Oh, what's the one, who's the one? You can have the one mentality and everything. That one job that God wants you to have, that one car that God has for me, that one husband or wife that God has for me. Like, I, I kind of have the belief that you can make anyone the one if you truly decide to give your life for them and them Except for Except for the one with all the red flags. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, and, and I say that with, you know, with, 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 a, with a border around it, with a caution around it. Can I, okay, so that's the kind of, ro that wasn't that romantic, but anyway, I'll chat GPT you a poem later. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 what I did do though, because I was like, I was struggling with it and I was like, oh, how do I should, I, should we marry this girl? And I actually sat down with my mentor and he goes, okay, let's make a pros and cons list. I'd love to see that list. So we sat there and we pro wrote, literally, because I was like, struggling, oh, do I, do I, how do I know? He's like, let's just do a pros and cons list. And we, we, we wrote the pro and con list and he goes, Steve, it looks like you've got a pretty good thing here. And I was like, you're right, dude. He was like, you need to go for it. I was like, right, cool. 
So just that, that little bit of advice and assurance, because it is nerve-wracking when you're a young guy proposing to a girl and like you commit, it's a huge commitment. I'm making a covenant relationship. Like, I remember when we got married, we yeah. were standing on this platform right here yeah. and I got to the top of the aisle yeah. And you looked as white as a ghost yeah, and like you were about to throw up everywhere. I was petrified. You were taking this whole thing very a, seriously. That's one thing I'd do. If I could do it over, I'd have way more fun. He looked like he was, was about so to throw serious. up. I was so serious. I had awesome hair though at then. It was awesome really nice. Hair, yeah. It was super handsome. It was, yeah, the years have not been that kind, but anyways. Did you have one more question? I do have one. Um... This is probably one of the questions I think probably maybe, I don't know, I don't know if you guys, you can tell me or not, have wanted to talk to you about is um, you've got a new tattoo on your arm (laughs) and you have other tattoos that most people don't see. Yes. What's that about? Oh, what is it about? Okay. um, Good. Okay. Interesting question, everybody. This is, um, yeah, I I think like... um, Because Christians, tattoos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are we allowed... What does the Bible say? Yeah, I, I could ask you about your ones too, but Shh, should listen. we... Um... This isn't about me, all right? Okay, so yeah, I do have a new tattoo there. It's, um, it's an anchor, it says hold fast. It's based out of Hebrews 6, uh, where Paul says, I found this anchor that holds me fast, the hope of Jesus. And uh, you know, f- I, I do have a number of tattoos, and for me, like, You've got a, tattoos in, in the Christian world is, is an issue of conscience again, like it's a con- conscience issue. So it's not like a hard and fast rule. If you go in and actually study the Bible, like a lot of, a lot of people say, oh, you know, tattoos, the Bible says don't get tattoos. Well, if you go back to the original, like what, what's going on in Deuteronomy, it's talking about do not mark yourselves as those, uh, as the pagans do, like in mourning and grieving for the dead and worship of false gods. And that same portion of scripture that we, trans- it's translated in English, don't get tattoos. It's, you know, there's also don't shave the hair on the sides of your face or wear cloth one of two different fabrics so like are you going to take all of it or are you going to take some of it you got to look at the context what's going on it's a it's a law designed to keep Israel separate from the nations around them and stop them bleeding into pagan worship and religions so the the concept of you know modern tattooing if you really want to, if you really have a good study into it you realize this is actually one of those things it's an issue of conscience where you've got freedom and and for me before God like I've, I've got a clear conscience of things I don't do and most of my tattoos are hidden because it's not for you it's not for anybody it's it's they're just kind of for me and um kind of meaningful for me in, in my life and each of them sort of tells a bit of a story and 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 i hope kind of like shares a bit of my testimony who god is in my life so um yeah it's and honestly it's just like i got that on my, on my birthday it was a little bit of a yolo but it was um but it's just one of those one of those um things for me that uh, is, is very personal. It's very like, you know, tells a story of God and what he's done in my life and who he is in me. And, and I think, yeah, that's kind of, a, I don't know if I'm answering this very well, but um, do you have a follow-up so question? So I'm not going to hell. What? I'm not going to hell. No, no, that's, no, de- no okay. definitely not. And I think like for me, I've always been, I've always been mindful, like I've always had most of mine hidden because I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. And, and as a pastor and as a, as a, like most, this generation, like 90% of this room has tattoos. So like it's a different story now to the generation before us. And so the generation before us, they, they see them and they, and it can be offensive. And I don't want to, for me, I've held off getting any visible ones because I don't want to cause any stumbling block between me and the gospel. Like, I don't want, if you're a culture that doesn't approve of them, or if it's a big deal for you in your older generation, I never want to make my life a stumbling block to you, for you coming to Jesus or finding a home in him. But, but I, do, I do also want to challenge religious 
beliefs that aren't founded in scripture and actually challenge people who get hung up and make laws and rules which don't actually exist and 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 I want to oh, like that's kind of one of the things I felt God called me to when he called me to be a pastor was to mess with religious people because there's so, heaps of people that will walk into this church see you either wearing a baseball cap or you or I with tattoos and go oh I fit here oh okay all right, I can I can be here. Yeah, and and I'm not and again I don't do I'm not getting it because I want to like be anything for anybody. These are these are these are actually just very personal for me, um, and just part of my journey and my story and things like that. So, and in no way do I endorse anybody getting a tattoo. I don't go home and say, "Mom, Pastor Steve said this." No, like like you you got to go before God. If God says no, no. Mm. You know, if God says no, no, it's a no. And God said no to me a number of times on a number of different things. So. I don't know if they answer your question. Bexie, I've got one final question for you. Mm. Um, if you could, okay, what's the best part of ministry for you? What's, the, what's been the best part of this journey? We've gone way over time, but what's the best part of ministry for you over the last 34 years of being part of this church? Um, probably, like, people. The best and hardest part of ministry is actually people, to be honest. Um, Because we all know the people business is difficult. But that's the most rewarding part is, like, on a Sunday morning, when you meet somebody whose life has been transformed by Jesus and by the ministry of what you're part of, there's nothing that compares to something like that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, just like seeing on a Sunday morning to stand in a, in, a, in a service and stand surrounded by hundreds of people who are connecting with God, you know, like in worship, who are connecting with God, they're reaching out to Him, you know He's moving in their life, like, there's nothing actually that beats standing in a room in an atmosphere with faithful people who you know are being filled with the Holy Spirit, being set free from stuff that's binding them, like just God's doing something in their life, God's ministering to them, they're engaging with Him, like they're reaching out to Him and crying out to Him and and you know that He's, you know, like there's just nothing better than being part of something that facilitates that kind of experience for somebody, that kind of encounter for somebody. Yeah, amazing, amazing. You know, our heart, honestly, with this church is that, that you would know the awesomeness of God, the love and the grace of Him and, and the work that He's done in our lives through this church. We just want to see that continue. We want to see that grow and we want to see every single person who calls this church home discover the, the plan and the purpose that God has for you and then begin to live that life of just radical obedience to God. Whatever God says, just go after it. Whatever God leads you into, trust Him in it. You'll only really discover the fullness of what God has for you when you go all in with Him. Is that cool? Can we pray for you guys? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing uh, time together in this awesome church. And we thank you for just your incredible grace towards us. And Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that you bless each one, Lord, as we walk our journey, as we go into all that you have for us, Lord, that you would lead us, you'd guide us, Lord, that we would be a people who live lives of just radical obedience to you, Lord, knowing that all we have 
and all we are and all we can be is all from you. So, Lord, we pray you bless each one here. Lord, that we would know your voice and we'd know your leading. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.